Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Sas Saha Mitra, Head of Global Research for Rider and Driver at Uber. We talked to Sas about her past research work with Google and currently Uber. We cover topics such as what she values in a researcher, methods used in technology research and stories of impact, ethics, governance, policy and her thoughts on the relationship between government and industry, what it's like to work with a social scientist and her advice on transitioning from academia to industry. Lastly, she shares her experience working as a woman in the technology sector. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, Sas. Hi, Karina. How are you? Good. Nice to nice to have you with us uh, today. It's evening in my part of the world and morning in yours, right? That's right. Yes, it's about <laughs> 9 a.m. in London. Yeah, and 8 p.m. in Auckland. So yeah. right almost on the other side <laughs> of, the, of the time. Um, so, Saz, I'd like, I'd like to start by asking you to, to tell me and also our listeners a bit about your background with, um, with technology and research. So I started in technology, I think, almost by like a fluke chance because I studied literature for my master's and I was on a career for becoming a professor in English literature and journalism. But one day, like I, I, had, I had moved from Mumbai where I was studying and working to Bangalore after getting married. And one day I received like this really strange call from a recruiter saying, would you like to be a researcher in a tech company, in a tech startup? <laughs> and this was like around 2006. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really sure what that meant. So I was like, okay, I'll come and talk to you and see what this is all about. So I went and that's when I started basically like getting introduced to user research, design. So I am very much a self-taught user researcher, just learned a lot by doing things myself. And then since then, like I spent the first four years of my career in India working a lot with like just feature phones and how feature phone was really changing the entire landscape of India as far as communication is concerned. It's one of the top telecom destinations now anywhere in the world. Um, Between 2010 and 2013, I moved to Germany and Spain and I did like a lot of freelance research. So for like, like smaller teams, who sort of kind of were still in the innovation space, were either trying to do business with India or just generally within the region. And then from 2013, I joined Google and I spent like the next three, three and a half years um, working on internationalizing Google search and just understanding how these markets, which are now kind of called together as emerging markets in Brazil, in India, in Southeast Asia, how can we grow the use of search in these markets? Because like the users here are coming to the internet for the first time in their lives. They don't have the tech literacy and the English literacy for which search is built. 
mm-hmm. and then you know like, like they they just come to this technology on mobile devices so there's like a whole lot of variables which makes it not that easy to just start searching on google so how did how can we facilitate some of that so i did that for about 3 years and then i moved to uber and you know currently my focus is on making riding and driving with uber around the world a safer a better experience just for everyone that that's quite a quite an interesting entrance in in the world of research um and where you are right now um makes makes me makes me think what made that recruiter um come to you and ask you to to be a researcher he, he probably did the right call right like looking where you are yeah. right now <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, like for sure. Like, I was like, you know, I could not have predicted this. Yeah. So, did you come? Did you ask that particular person what made them approach you in particular, or? Yeah, or? I did. Um, I did. So I think like, like because I I worked with her after I joined the first company. Mm-hmm. So when I had asked her that what was it in my CV that made her approach me, it was the word. Um, research associate so I was doing my uh, master of philosophy degree at that mm-hmm. point but in English literature and filmmaking which yeah. are like completely different right <laughs> but she assumed if I could research in literature I could research somewhere else and I think that's true right yeah. like yeah the basic skill sets are the same so I'm mm-hmm. forever like you know grateful to her for having had that astute thought process Um so coming back to where you are now today um what would what do you value in a researcher and how do you um look at somebody and say you you have potential to become a good researcher or you are a very good researcher Um so I think there are a couple of things which I look for like the first and foremost is just like curiosity so you know like if they have a way of demonstrating either in their CV or in their work or in their interview like examples like really interesting examples of where they have expressed curiosity and taken actions from there so that i think is like my first and foremost and it's not just for a researcher i think i look for that across the board which is when have you done something that was interesting mm-hmm. um that that's the first one um the second one that i'm looking for more and more is um, a person's ability to tell the user journey and the user narrative in interesting ways so just focusing on the storytelling component and you know that that level of storytelling really differs by your experience exposure but just kind of doing something interesting in the way you tell the user stories i think that's the second thing which i definitely look for quite a lot and third is an ability to just work with people um i think a big part of the research when we do you know it it depends on how other people take it up so it's mm-hmm. not that yeah. much about just what you did but it's about like after you've done your job how do other people in the organization absorb it and make mm-hmm. it a part of their work so i think that post research part is also really critical for me yeah And what kind of um backgrounds have you seen um in the people that um kind of express those those qualities? It's very diverse. It's very like it's it's not, it's almost not possible to say that, you know, this mm-hmm. background does it better than others. I think it's more about individuals where, you know, like someone can tell a story using a video, using storyboards, 
So you can come from a background of design, but someone can equally tell that story with data, right? So you could come from an engineering and a data science background. But I think what unifies all these people is that they have a really good grasp about what the actual human story is. And then they play around with how to visualize it, how to narrate it. So I think like you could be pretty much from any background. Yeah. Can you give um, can you give an example from your own personal career of of a moment when you you did that? Yeah, so I think like if I kind of go back to let's see, um, if I go back to some one of my first projects at Google, like this was about um, you know like in a lot of these countries how the internet begins to get flaky and what the consequences of that are on the product. So I remember using. Like, because it, it affects everyone, basically. So whether you have the internet or whether you don't have the internet, it affects pretty much everyone. So I remember doing like a story where I had kind of shown the population on a spectrum saying, look, these are the people who don't have the internet and not having the internet affects them in a certain way. But then there are other people who have internet who are paying for data, but the poor quality data that they receive also affects them. And, you know, for people who are on something like 2G, 3G, because the experience that they get on the internet is not that great, they just don't want to invest in 4G, right? Mm -hmm. And then that has some consequences on what products we build out because if they don't see the value of the data they get, if the service quality is not good, then they'll never move to 4G. And if they don't move to 4G, then, you know, we won't be able to bring them AR, VR, and so on and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of that narrative I thought was very palpable because that's when Google started looking at a lot of its offline strategies. So now the fact that, you know, you can get responses and queries on maps, on search, even in offline mode, it started from there. So showing that just having or not having internet is not the issue. It's all about like, even if I have it, it's not good enough, right? And that I think really hit home the point. And then like the product team started building this whole Google's offline strategy. Mm. And and how did you uncover this? What were the methods that you used? So we did a lot of research on this. We This was around, I think, 2015 when um, this project, like we were seeing from internal data that a lot of our search queries, maps, like maps queries were failing, but we didn't really know why, like what was happening on the ground. So like our product teams basically came to me and another of my research team members and um, they said, we want to understand what's going on. And you're like, okay, um, this is a very complex topic to study because it is not time bound, right? So yeah. you may be having problems with the internet sometimes. It's very hard to be like, oh, I'm going to interview people. Mm-hmm. And it also relies a lot on memory. So what we ended up doing was, We took almost 25 people across three weeks from like Mountain View to India. We went to like really big urban cities as well as very far off remote rural cities to understand like what is the spectrum of the internet use. 
So we did, of course, like a bunch of interviews. We walked around with like like speedometers in different parts of the cities just to understand where things are better, where th- where the signals are weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, we did like a lot of stop and intercept people at railway stations, bus stations. Um, the idea was that how do you understand a city and try to understand how this like poor quality internet affects people mm-hmm. at different parts of the city so that's some of the ways we did it and then we of course like after that like we did like a lot of design sprints to make sure that people were understanding what the problem was and then they could also come up with certain plans for their product specific needs yeah where do these questions come from um normally do they do they normally come from the product team do they come from other other parts of the organization and what do you think triggers the question um, the questions can come from anyone. I think mm-hmm. like, you know, as, as you do research, sometimes you as a researcher, based on your work, you know what the next step is. So like, I mean, we typically also write a lot of proposals ourselves and then make sure we kind of, you know, share those, discuss those with stakeholders to have their buy-in. Of course, product managers themselves will approach you if you work with them about like how the product is doing and if like if whether it's at a, whether they're starting to think of a new product or for an existing product if there are issues. So that happens. Um, I've also worked pretty closely with marketing and data science. So sometimes what we see is, you know, things like brand sentiment or things like, hey, just the performance data, there's some anomaly in there. And it's not clear just from like from instrumentation what's going on. So that's when you kind of need to understand like, hey, what what is like the situation on the ground? What is the situation with real people? beyond what we see in data tracking. Mm. What what are some of the things that you've seen um, in your current or in Uber um, because of the nature of the product that might be different from your work with Google? Uh, in terms of challenges, like to research? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, like every product company has al- always has research needs, right? Like, so for instance, I just finished with my team, like a year long of research where we redesigned the entire driver side app of Uber. So this is the app which drivers use when they are driving and they get like their requests and stuff. So the the reason why we decided to redesign this entire app was because we could see that we had developed technologies which could guide and help the drivers better in terms of where they might where they should go to drive at what time so that it increases their earnings opportunities so the moment this technology was developed we had to sort of build it in into the app but at the same time this was like sort of one feature there are many many other features which i which people start thinking about and then you know when you when you come to a redesign you have to think about what are like which among these are real improvements and do they actually need to kind of be put together in the app in one go or are these just like like follow on rollouts step by step so we did that um other things that we look at we constantly research like things like driver earnings and what are the challenges around it do people even understand what they're earning because um, there's a lot of perception issues especially with uber when it comes to like you know, earnings, when it comes to like safety. Mm -hmm. So people have a certain perception. So we study perception quite a lot. Um, We also sort of look at things like 
even if Uber has launched a feature, um, the discoverability, the awareness of it, how high is it, and whether like you know we can work closely with marketing to like enhance some of that as well. Um, do you do any governance work, research work as well? Yeah, so we work pretty closely with the policy teams as well. So one of the things that we are now beginning to look at is like to really understand what our governance stakeholders really seek from us and what we can facilitate for them. So I, I don't know if you are aware of it, but Uber has a platform called Uber Movement, which shows how the transportation, in especially like Uber transportation works in different cities and how we can see traffic and the mobility of things within those cities. So more and more, we started rolling it out in the US. Now we've just rolled it out like in India, we are in Canada. So we are rolling it out more and more to enable governance to access this data, which we have, and also make smarter decisions around urban planning. How do you work with, with culture? I want, one of the things that I'm really interested about, especially when it comes to global um, products like Google or Uber, is how do you, how do you embed this um, multicultural global environment um, inside the product? I mean, culture is really at the heart of everything we do, right? So, for, if you, for instance, if you look at Uber, um, pretty more than half of our business basically comes from all around the world, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's kind of like inevitable that we study that all the time, right? So the way we look at it is um, like there, there are very tactical ways to look at it. So for instance, like the designs that we put out there, um, do are those things comprehensible? Are those things culturally appropriate in terms of color, in terms of language, for specific regions, for specific communities. So for instance, like, you know, we like we do a lot of like the UX copy testing as well. Mm -hmm. So for instance, like, you know, um, if you see the Uber's rider app, when you start using it, it starts with a question, where to? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that question doesn't really translate very well necessarily in every part of the world because in some parts of the world you have direct address so you can input that but in other parts of the world like you know neighborhoods don't have specific roads and it like building numbers so you kind of just put the neighborhood address mm -hmm. so this was like one of the big examples which we learned from a cultural perspective when we started when we were thinking about launching this out and over time like the app works both with addresses as well as just neighborhoods. And then the assumption is that you and the driver will collaborate once you reach the neighborhood to actually like wayfind by asking people or if you already know the directions on the ground um, as you are there. Yeah. And, and how do you do that research-wise? Because it seems really complex. Do you, do you have teams on the ground in, in all of those places? Yes. So we, we have researchers in almost all the regions that we work in, like all, all the key regions. But I think one of the other strengths Uber has is we have operations teams pretty much in every city that we have. So what we tend to do is um, we like when the researchers are, of course, like when it's a really big topic and we, we of course, spend like dedicated time with the research team doing this. But sometimes these are like very small checks, whether, hey, is this button actually appropriate? 
in your city and in let's say Jakarta or something, then we can also partner with our operations folks who live and are like proficient in the local language, work with drivers and riders very closely. So we also sort of tack like tack on some of these questions to them so that their local expertise becomes folded into the product development cycle. Um one of the questions that I wanted to ask you has to do with ethics. Um, how do you do? How do you deal with ethics research-wise? Um, and by ethics, I mean the decisions that you take when you build a product, um, and and thinking into what what is what is right, what is wrong. Yeah, um, I think like something like ethics, right? Like it's it's very complex and it's very nuanced because mm-hmm. like. You know, ethics is always about whose ethics are we talking about? Is it like the business and even within the business, which Mm -hmm. group of people? So the way we try to look at it is, of course, like as the user research team, our focus is always like and across the board, like it's always on doing the right thing for the users. And when we say that, what we mean is on the driver side, making sure that they are protected, they are safe. They believe this is a sustainable form of employment and they are happy to continue, right? So in order to build that emotional perception, it means we have to build features and we have to kind of provide communication which actually support that. So in the past, things we've done is when we have seen in different parts of the world, like Johannesburg in Brazil, um, neighborhoods which are actually really high risk and where the number of accidents have been high, we have like cordoned those areas off as places where we wouldn't really send an Uber, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an ethical decision in the interest of keeping our driver partners safe. And similarly, we do the same thing. We try to do the same thing on the rider side. So I don't know if you noticed, but just this week, we launched a safety button in the rider app, which will allow any rider, if they feel that there is for some reason, like some sort of a safety threat that they have, they could connect, like they could press that button and then Uber will immediately try to locate and connect them to the local police station or also just track the ride themselves very closely so we kind of we kind of look at some of these issues very very closely in order to understand like what is the right balance of like being hands-on in this because you know at the end of the day the service is provided by the drivers so we have to keep their needs very front and center but also like what uber can do to facilitate the experience between both parties Hmm. You were mentioning um, earlier at the beginning one of the qualities that you appreciate in a researcher is the ability to storytell, to kind of um, convey the message um, to the other stakeholders inside the organization. Um, and I was wondering, how do you um, make sure that um, that the message is is, is uh, incorporated in the in the stages of development of the pro- uh, product? Do you guys? Um, sit with the product for um, a longer time or yeah how, how does that happen I mean it's a very like I would say like consistent amount of work right so it's not so much like on a project to project basis it's more like it's it's what we do all the time so the like I mean the way I think about it is like we of course have researchers who are 
partnering with specific product teams as they build a product out or as they discover an opportunity. So that's like, you know, that being embedded in that team helps. But for instance, my team is not at all embedded in any specific product teams. They are mostly in the regions. So the way we try to have impact is slightly different, which is we work with our partners at headquarters in San Francisco to make sure that they understand what regional nuances are emerging and how this is a very critical factor to be built into the product. So Mm -hmm. that's one one thing that we are constantly working on. So whether that's in presentations, tech talks, um, just like in testing, we are super aware of it. We do things like, like a quarterly share out of what are some of the key things we are learning. But then at the same time, like, there's like this is like what for instance the researchers may do but then there are like you know responsibilities which i as a lead have which is how to like i can't like i have it's my job to make sure that some of these key insights get surfaced to the leads of the business so whether it's like our engineering lead our product leads our marketplace lead. So we, we do have those leads meeting as well, where we discuss some of these elements. And then we, of course, work with our strategy team to build some of these insights into like our, like, you know, our roadmap, right? Yeah. So which is, like, which is like, well, we did a research in Jan, which told us that, you know, drivers care a lot about protection benefits. And then you have to work with a lot of teams. The researchers work with their immediate team. I work with strategy and like, you know, the leads of the of rider side and also of marketplace to t- discuss that what does it mean that right, like riders and drivers want protection benefits, right? Yeah. And who can we, and it's always like an experiment because, you know, just because people want like protection benefits, we can't really roll it out to 100%, right? So we first have to define what is the opportunity that we believe is there. Mm-hmm. Experiment a little bit, pilot it a little bit with a small group of people, like let's say like a subset of drivers, and then and learning from that experience, which is like, okay, you know, they either took to it really well or we didn't see as much bump as we thought we would, you know, then you start working and tweaking it and also changing it completely sometimes um, before you kind of make this like a rollout or like a strategy for next year, for instance. Got it. Did it ever happen that the research team kind of managed to disrupt um, a a kind of a a truth of, of the organization? Or, or get them to kind of re- rethink something that was very strongly embedded in the company culture? We try to do that without being super disruptive. So, you know, like I think the goal is like we are all partners in this process. So the couple of things which where this has happened is mostly like, for instance, like understanding this whole earnings question mm-hmm. which is like why do our drivers come to uber so there there have been assumptions in the past that this is only like the reason why people come here because it's an earning opportunity but then over time like we've also learned that 
it's it, it is an earning opportunity but a lot of people really like uber because of the flexibility that it offers and you know so sometimes like in the past one of the things we have done is by working with the product teams we've said how might we focus on this flexibility opportunity which people really care a lot for and then see how like as we offer more flexible options what are the implications of that on earnings Right. So instead of being like an earnings first company, it's more about like a service first. So it's like people can choose how they want to drive and that has some earnings implications. So that's one of the things which we've often like, you know, like it was a big decision to change that. Um, another one, which like my manager, Molly Stevens, was very instrumental in was we used to use NPS. So like you know, just like, hey, how likely are you to recommend us? Mm-hmm. That question didn't really make a lot of sense as a point of data for the drivers because people may just not, because we were trying to gauge how satisfied are they with Uber and NPS is a pretty standard matrix. So mm-hmm. we did have that, but we, through research, we learned that it's not really that relevant because like a lot of drivers may not have anyone to recommend. So by asking them, like, can you recommend us to anyone? It's not really like a very good approximate for how they feel about their service. So the research team worked with product team to actually like um, roll out like a sentiment analysis. So now we do like um, like a sort of a scale of five, which is how satisfied are you with your current experience at Uber? And we pop up that survey like at, as soon as they kind of finish some of the rides. So it's it's more like, it's situational. It's it's it happens on a repeat basis. So we have a better measure of how people actually feel about their experience of driving with us. So I wanted to ask you if you've ever worked with with social scientists in in a research capacity at, at either Uber or Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at well, a lot of the team members that we have both at Uber and I used to work with at Google were always social scientists. So they actually came from a social science background and then like, you know, they kind of evolved into more sort of product researchers. So yes. Okay. So what, how do you see, um, do you see those people bringing something different to the team than, than other people that have come into the research role from, from different backgrounds? I mean, the way I see it is I think like, you know, Every person who comes into these roles come with certain skills and then they have to adapt a bit to what the organization needs at a given point of time. But one of the things which I really appreciate from my colleagues from a social sciences background is their awareness of different kind of experimentation methods. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like one of the things which is really interesting for me because like user research has a certain amount of methods which are by now pretty standard, right? But I think when I have worked with my colleagues from social sciences, one of the things I have learned is that they often borrow, for instance, a lot of research and experimentation techniques from sociology, psychology, and try to see how some of them can be modulated for like a product cycle research. And that's always very interesting. Hmm. That's that's great. I, I have I haven't heard this um, 
this answer before regarding methods, but it's okay. it, it's great to know it. Um, and yeah. for for our listeners out there that are maybe contemplating um, entering the industry that are still in academia or still studying, how would you what would you advise them um, to kind of start considering the space? Um, I think like what really matters to you because like I myself moved from academia to research, so I felt like like you know that the first important criteria to really understand is what is it that you are really passionate about from your academic role, which you could bring to the industry. Because then that offers you like a certain uniqueness, which, you know, which becomes a great opportunity for employers to understand and benefit from. So it's like, instead of kind of just applying for any role and every role, just figuring out what is it that you're passionate about. I think that's really helpful. Um, second is trying to also like read up a little bit about how product development happens because one, like one of the challenges that I've often seen for people who are doing this migration has been like adjusting to the pace and mm -hmm. adjusting to a little bit like the needs of product teams because like here there's not like you don't really have fi infinite time right because the product has to launch in a certain number of weeks or months or whatever so that flexibility that ability to very quickly understand how the business operates and then modulate it with what you do best but keeping it to some extent in alignment with what is going on does sometimes make for a little bit of a bumpy start. Yeah. Thank you. That, that's a very thoughtful answer. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, Saz, do you have a specific area of research that you are um, particularly interested in or a specific topic that, that you find a lot of interest in? Yeah, so I personally care a lot about two things mostly, um, which which I don't necessarily always get the chance to work on, but I care a lot about policy. Um, that's one of my, like, I think, core goals this year, which is to both do some research on it myself as well as encourage it within my team. Because I think, like, especially at Uber, I feel like there's a great deal of opportunity for us to have better conversations with uh, people who are in urban planning, mm -hmm. in governance, mm -hmm. and just be in a more collaborative relationship when possible. And also bring these new perspectives because sometimes I feel like a lot of the press and PR which comes out as like, you know, Uber's in some sort of a antagonistic relationship with governance is often because there's not enough conversation on both sides. Mm -hmm. So how do we facilitate that? I think that's really interesting. Um, and two is in the past, and it continues to be an interest, which is just looking at AI and what, like, you know, what would user experience mean in a time of AI? I think it's still, it's still very niche where we know that, you know, artificial intelligence is being embedded in products, but I still don't think we have enough clarity on what it would mean to live in an AI world and what, like, you know, mm -hmm. how would, how would we as researchers um, still think about doing research where every answer is sort of known. So I personally think that like 
user experience research will still be tremendously valuable because you know we we've already lived in a data age for the last decade and still even when you look at the data you don't really understand what's the behavior so i feel like we will still continue to be super relevant but just in what ways can we be more relevant i think that's something i'm super passionate about yeah this this the both both topics are are absolutely great um i remember we had um Last week, we had on the podcast um, Kathy Baxter from Salesforce talking to the topic of AI and ethics. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating, like this whole world of, you know, how do you build these codes, let's say, inside a system um, yeah. and try to make it to not replicate the cultural bias that we have and all those other sorts of bias that, that come from that team that, that builds it. Um, yeah. And that in and also the topic of consciousness and, and artificial consciousness and how do you it, it's it's all very, very, very interesting and very, you know, puts puts all these disciplines kind of necessary to be at the table and talk to each other. You know, philosophy or social science, uh, development, yes. technology, engineering. So it's 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 fascinating. I yeah. this, this is one of my favorite topics, too. And I'm mm-hmm. glad you mentioned governance because I was thinking how to ask you about that topic. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Yeah, how to how to ask it in a way that that kind of um, yeah, that kind of it's it's sensitive somehow because um I think not just with with Uber, but with all those um, technology platforms that are coming and they are taking over a, a strong part of of our sociality and our systems that are governmental. You know how do mm-hmm. how do they enter that system and how do they work with the system and how do they transform and change the system um, without putting those barriers between themselves and the system or the system putting the barrier towards them? You know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's a it's a it's a great topic to to start having more conversation around. And I think a, another one which I was thinking about was this: the fact that you're not just providing a service, but you're helping people um, have have um, a job somehow. Mm-hmm. And and with that, it comes a lot of responsibility with other types of of, of services that are by now offered by the government and other institutions inside the system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you choose to have this type of employment, but then the the product itself is not designed to function as the other parts of society are designed to function as a job, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I think I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm doing a, a justice to the question, <laughs> but um, I'm wondering if you have any work groups or um, any people inside Uber that are that are thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, Uber, of course, like has to work with governance all around the world. So pretty much every city team has like policy, like researchers and policy team members who are like trying to work with the government of that city to understand what is the best way to collaborate. But at the same time, just making sure that some of these asks are actually like, you know, that there are actually things that we can provide because I think sometimes one of the challenges that you can see is that that lack of awareness, um, mm. which is like, what is real? What What is it that Uber or any tech company yeah. actually has versus what you think they have? So I think there's a lot of also hysteria around like, oh, these tech companies have everything, but that's not true. Right. So I think just like there's a there's a massive amount of work that we can do 
just around setting that common baseline of understanding, which is what does it take to have a technology like this? And I feel like something like that, like I I would be like super thrilled to just work with governance on something like that, which is like, how can we both get on the same mm -hmm. level, right? Yeah. And it's like, I'm sure there are within each city government people who specialize in this. So having more transparent communication with those groups, with those working groups, which is like, this is what you believe we have and this is what we do have. And like, based on this, what exactly are we hoping for, right? Yeah. So having those conversations a bit more collaboratively and transparently, I think that's really helpful. Um, second is like, I think depending on where this governance is, like, you know, depending on which country you are, I think there's a certain amount of openness also required to just embrace technology as a thing, you know, like as a way of building a city. So mm -hmm. like for me, like the perfect example is like Estonia, right? They have always like promoted themselves in at least the last decade or so as the most technology friendly country in the world and they seem to be doing well so then the question is what can we learn from these advanced countries as far as their embracing of technology is concerned and you know kind of see yeah. from there that how are they doing this without everything being a problem right and how might we expand some of that out to like larger countries like the united states like the uk india so i think there's a there's a little bit of like co-learning even at that level which requires like which is really required that learn from just like your peers in like you know state governance right like i think that's really interesting as well and last but not the least is like i think there's just like always like i, I mean i think the biggest challenge we have these days is that i don't think both sides really understand what they want Mm. out of this conversation so you know just like i mean there's, there's been like this entire week there's just been so yeah. many like memes and gifts yeah, floating Facebook. yeah so you're <laughs> like what is the question you're asking i mean there were great questions but just some of those like you know mm. it takes like one or two of those weird questions to just make this become like an internet meme right so then the point is that how do we actually prepare our like policymakers to really understand what technology is and what is it that they are you know questioning you about right yeah. so i think those basic parameters should now really begin to be set yeah yeah and, and sitting together at the table and having those conversations are the the first step right yeah. Um, one of the last things that I wanted to ask you about um, was around um, around the topic of diversity. So mm -hmm. you are, I mean, in your position and the kind of role that you do, um, we've, we have a lot of speakers. No, sorry. We have a lot of listeners that um, that might, as a woman, for example, consider thinking about, you know, going into a technological company. Um, would there be any barriers to diversity, to inclusion? What's the conversation around that space? Um, uh -huh. right now. Um, yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to speak, I wanted you to speak a bit to your career path, not necessarily your role in Uber right now, but your career path as yeah. a woman in that industry. Um, uh -huh. yeah. And how, how have you experienced it? Yeah. I mean, I think like 
diversity is it's really become popular um, in the last couple of years because like you know when I started my career I don't think it was like a thing so you kind of just started by saying hey whether I'm qualified or not for a role and it was less about representation it was less about I am a woman and it was more about the skill set but i think this conversation is super helpful because as a like as i manage a fairly diverse team from people from all around the world i see the huge benefit of it which is how the difference in thought process works um uber as everyone knows has been typically like you know Mm-hmm. been at the receiving end of this diversity question i think for the, from last year but i think the company is making really strong progress on this over the last year where we are we i mean our diversity numbers are actually pretty good if you look at it in comparison with all the tech companies in the san francisco bay area for instance so i feel like for people who are trying to enter this tech space um the thing to hold in mind is just like the you know let's not like don't question yourself right mm-hmm. which is like if you believe you have the right skill set just keep moving forward right like this like this like you don't you you shouldn't face any discrimination at the application at the initial approach phase where this tends to crop up is more in like once you start working with different people and if it does start cropping up i think like everyone has the right to just stand up and articulate their displeasure with it mm-hmm. so my sense would be that just like if you believe you are a good fit for a role just pr- go with it and don't like don't make like you know your racial color any of those things like don't sort of self limit yourself right which is like and and don't kind of think about hey is, is this role fit for me because i am of a certain racial background like i don't think that's the right question to ask i think the right question to ask is like do i have the right set of skills to be successful in this role and then of course like one of the things which i tend to do is like um i tend to ask a lot of question about this during my interview which is like what kind like you know can you share your diversity numbers with me like you know what kind of like woman friendly or let's say like you know parent friendly policies do you have um what do you enable within like what kind of support groups you have so ergs mm-hmm. i think all of those begin to give you a good um set of ideas about how multicultural an organization is and i also do pay pretty close look at the annual numbers that they release i think that's always really helpful because you know that kind of mentally prepares you a little bit to understand what kind of an organization you are going into yeah that's great thank you sas that that was um that was a great interview um thank you so much for giving us your time today Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> and um and have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speakers work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.